five, four, three, two, and one. Hey everyone, it's Sunny. I'm back. I'm one of the Pan-Asian Council coordinators, and with me today I have the Global Gateways coordinators and Caitlin True. Um, Global Gateways and Caitlin, do you all mind introducing yourselves to the audience? I'll start. Hi, my name is Shaina Slavaraju. I'm a senior bio major, and I'm one of the Global Gateways coordinators. And a little about Global Gateways, we're a program out of ASAC that seeks to connect international students with domestic students. Hi everyone, my name is Steven. I'm a junior finance major, and I'm also one of the coordinators for Global Gateways. Hi everyone, my name is Srijani. I am a senior biology major, and I'm also one of the Global Gateways coordinators. Hello, hello. My name is Caitlin Shrew. I am a first year MFA grad acting student, and I am coming at you from Canada, doing a little international uh, podcast here, I guess. And the goal of today's sessions is to sort of show off the experiences of international students um, during COVID. So today we'll be interviewing both Caitlin and Jenny, who, who's from Global Gateways. And to start off, um, I'm just gonna ask you guys, um, we'll start off with the application process. So when did you join UConn? And either of you are welcome to start. Um, I can start. Um, I joined UConn, um, well, I first applied to UConn in high school junior year as an undergraduate student, and I got accepted in 2017, I think 2017. And I started off in the Stanford campus, actually. Then after my first two years, I transferred over to Source. So I've been here since, and currently I'm a senior. <laughs> Um, I was recruited by UConn in 2019, and that's when I got my offer from them. So I signed probably March 2019 to start in September of 2020. Obviously, COVID hit, um, so everything has just been remote since then. So I've been taking all my classes online on Zoom from where I am, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I look forward to uh, moving to campus finally, hopefully um, sometime this summer. And then um, sort of going into your international experience, could you both sort of debrief your respective situations? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so coming from Canada, it's, it's a little different. I don't necessarily need to apply to a visa to come to go to school in the States. Instead, we have to just get all our paperwork aligned. They ask about your finances. Um, if you have any sponsors, you know, getting they're super, super like nitpicky about all that. So you have to make sure you have all your eyes dot eyes dotted and your T's crossed. And then when Trump came in with that ICE policy change in the summer, um, that just kind of shifted everything, and it really scared me because. I was, um, I'm currently on a full scholarship and I didn't know what that meant. Like, do I have to move like suddenly to the States in the middle of a pandemic, even though borders are closed? If I stay in Canada, would I be able to do school remotely? Like, what is the situation here? And for a little while, I, I didn't think I would be able to continue grad school at all because I'm like, I'm not moving to the States during a pandemic that they are not handling well at the time. Um, and I thought I would have to lose out on, on grad school, but, um, fortunately 
everything worked out like a lot of states started suing um trump and the like the policy got redacted so or um pulled back so everything kind of worked out um but yeah even it, it changed from semester to semester like they were like you might have to come to campus even though things are kind of closed um just to make sure everything goes through for you so it was uh, i felt like i was fighting it the entire time it was never just like here it is one and done you're good to go it was like oh we're gonna throw every problem we can at you and i'm like man i'm just trying to go to school like i'm not even trying to work necessarily like keep your jobs keep your money like i just want my education but yeah luckily i'm still here so hopefully nothing nothing snags the rest of the way <laughs> um also if you could sort of go over what your visa situation is because being from canada it's slightly unique than other um students at UConn. yeah so i didn't have to apply for um i didn't have to apply for a visa instead uh, like I said, they they ask for all those documents um, to make sure you're able to financially, um, you know, support yourself and pay off your tuition. They want to make sure you have somebody kind of sponsoring you, kind of supporting um, that you are going to school. Um, so they ask for all these documentations in place. And then once they have that, the school sends that information over to like the office for them to kind of file everything. Um, for me, it's something called an I-94 form. Um, so it's just a form that says I'm legally allowed to enter the country, especially now since borders are still closed, the border between the US and Canada has been closed for over a year. So with that paper, I'm able to legally enter the United States and that's all I really needed. So that in itself, um, I had to file and refile that application I want to say at least like four to six times um, within these two semesters alone, just to prove that, okay, like, you know, something's changed. My contract has changed because I'm not coming during the semester. And like, you have to make sure everything is checked off. You're not missing like the slightest detail. Cause yeah, like you, you want to make sure that everything is in order so you can come into the country um, because they're not looking for the right reasons for you to come in. They're looking for any reason to turn you away. And that's what it felt like. And I'm like, again, I'm just coming from Canada. Like, I didn't think it would be that hard. We're like, you know, a good neighbor, I'd like to think. But nope, they're just really harsh on all that. So yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, Jenny, how about your experiences? Um, like Caitlin was saying, I have actually i didn't think that it would be such a big deal for people from canada coming in um that it would be so bad but i think probably with covid the restrictions have just gotten worse and um i personally have been living here for a while now since i was in fifth grade so i was what you would consider a h1b dependent i think it's called like a h4 dependent and what that means is that I am considered like technically a minor until I'm 21. So I don't need to file my own visa. I don't need to go on as be an international student or anything like that until I'm the age of 21. So I was just like any other person 
in like us, any other person who would be a citizen technically. So I didn't need any other special visa status in order to be here until I was 21. But then that all changed my junior year when I was turning 21. And so what I had to do was apply for the I-94 like Caitlin was talking about, which allows an international person to continue to be a student here and have the eligibility to be in the country. So that process was actually quite stressful. Um, you have to be very thorough, like Caitlin was saying. And it takes forever, right? Like they don't, they're like, okay, we'll get back to you in like X amount of time. And then you're still waiting and you're like, okay, hey, like I'm here. Don't forget about me. <laughs> exactly. Each process takes at least two months sometimes. And you need to make sure all of that is done by the time you turn 21. And there's a ticking time bomb, it feels. Because if you are 21 and you still haven't been approved, you do have to leave the country. You cannot be there anymore. So that will, you know, halt your whole education, which is really unfortunate because I was in my junior year halfway done with college. So um, that whole process was very new to me. It was my first time having to deal with visas or anything and beyond my own like that. So I also felt like ISSS um, did help a lot, but they also sometimes didn't know what to tell me because my situation was quite unique. There's not that many people that have been living here and then applied to become an international student. Usually it's someone coming from out of the country. So some procedures were quite different for me. Um, but I mean, also like Caitlin was saying, I had to get multiple forms of I-94 and keep changing every time any one thing would change. So if I moved from Stanford to stores, I had to get a new one. And then I had to have one in Stanford and then I had to have one in stores. And then when I changed my minor, I literally had to change to a different form again, just for adding a minor. So it makes the whole process really concrete and like really hard because for any other student, it would just be adding a minor. For me, I had to go through a whole international process and get it approved. It goes to show you it's a little bit more difficult to be an international student. You have to know what you want before coming in and like it's not so easy to just change your mind. So I just I think that's so ridiculous because like here we are coming, paying these fees, paying all this money, like contributing to the school financially just for the same spot as like the student next to you and it's like whoa well like why don't you want our money like why are you making it so hard for us to be here and that kind of blows my mind because I mean I don't know the stats at UConn but I know um the university where I did my undergrad at like they just blow up the rates for international students like tuition is I want to say at least five to ten times like the tuition of like any other Canadian student here. Um, and it's like, why would you make it so hard when we are paying so much for you to operate this school? Um, I kind of like to, sometimes it feels like they want the money that we provide to the economy, but they don't really want us. Okay, that's so even that's, worse. <laughs> that's that's even worse. what it feels like to me. I don't, that's not how I want to think about it, but that's how it feels because of all the roadblocks. And like you were saying, they're looking for a reason to not accept us in, you mm -hmm. know? So mm -hmm. it's, it almost feels like they want the money that we provide, but not 
I'm exactly the person that comes with that money. So sometimes it's very frustrating when you get all these roadblocks for very small things. I wish like that there were more scholarships for international students as well, because even just looking at it um, this year, a lot of the scholarships that I would be eligible for within my area of study, like, oh, well, you would have to live in within these states for X amount of time, right? So even somebody coming from a different state, they wouldn't be able to apply for it. And it's just so specific that it's like, aren't, aren't these scholarships offered to, you know, help grow the field and to nurture and cultivate the talent in upcoming generations? Like, what is the purpose of these scholarships? What is the purpose of this work? And I don't know, like, this is a whole nother conversation, but the way that like higher education is monetized and like commodified, it's just, I don't know. And we can't even apply for FAFSA. Like that makes me so mad, you know, things like that, that we can't apply for. And I feel like we're already so far behind when we're just starting out. Like we're so like, so far behind the starting line. We can't even see it. Um, so Caitlin did touch upon this earlier, but Jenny, I wanted to talk about your experience with the ice fan because your situation is unique in that you lived here most of your life and you were suddenly threatened with the fear of having to leave. So just walk us through some of your emotions and thoughts with that and what you had to go through. Yeah. Um, so by the time that the ice fan had come along, I had been on my F1 visa and I was feeling a bit more comfortable with the whole process. I kind of knew what was expected of me as an international student and I had already navigated those, you know, a tricky waters, so to speak. <laughs> but then um, all of a sudden, like Caitlin was saying, Trump came in and swooped in and decided that because of COVID, he would punish international students and the in by saying that we are no longer allowed to be here if we all have all virtual classes, which was kind of out of our control because it's the university's policy, nothing we did to stop that. And I don't think we should have been punished for looking out for our health and choosing to have virtual classes and the same thing that every other student was doing at the time. And for me personally, it was super scary because I've been living here, like I said, since I was in fifth grade. and to all of a sudden be told that you might have to leave the country if you don't have any hybrid classes or in-person classes was very scary to me because even the um, advisors at the international office had no clue what was going to happen if this was something, this um, ice ban was going to be passed, if they're super serious about it, what was going on. And it was scary because there was a real possibility of me getting kicked out of the country when I've never left, I haven't left, I've lived here for more than 10 years, where would I go? You know, like it's, I'm technically, I am from here. And so I have no other place to leave and go to. And the fact that they wanted to kick me out was very scary to me. And it was a very scary and frustrating time because no one knew the right answer. No one knew what was going to happen. I feel like it's still changing semester to semester what students are able to do and what they're allowed to do as international students. So it's just some tricky waters to navigate, I feel. I felt like at that time, like there was no outcome where we could win as Mm -hmm. international students. Like it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like, Mm -hmm. right? You could be 
like you don't have to be a minority you could be a white person coming from canada and still have the same issues and it like i think that just talks to the ridiculousness of the situation like how many foreign like students slash workers like do you have that help literally run the country and contribute to the economy because everything's about money right so yeah so tying that back into the university um although it's fortunate in, that it didn't happen while it was happening and just general like your experiences during covid how did the university support you through these experiences um well first of all i like i do want to express like how great ISSS was in helping out with all of that and you know if they didn't have the answers they're like we're gonna try to find out for you and things did take a long time but like I did feel like they were a good pillar of support at that point um also like my program director um and the head of my department like they were really like hands-on and trying to be like we're gonna make this work like we want you here so it was like just it, it felt really nice to have that support during that time um and to have someone fighting for you and to want to have you there um so i'm really grateful for that but however their response during covid was kind of different altogether like we can talk about the mental health aspect of it and everything like going to a remote environment. Um, we can talk about the rise in response to Asian American violence during COVID um, that kind of sparked recently. I mean, there, there are just so many factors that like under this umbrella that we could talk about. So Jenny, yeah. I'll you. Um, I personally really think that that I-SPAN was nothing that the colleges were prepared for. They were kind of blindsided, just like the students, um, because I was talking to my advisors at the international office and they were, they felt um, appalled by the new like regulations and they were very, they were also unsure because they were kind of blindsided by it, like I was saying. And I feel that all the universities banding together um, to look out for the interests of international students was really the tipping point in letting the government know that this they're not we're not just going to stand by and let this happen to all the international students that attend our universities, which I really appreciated because I don't think that uh, I think universities have a lot of power and that really goes to show you what they can do when they band together to um, you know help out the students. Uh, so I really appreciated like what they did in terms of that. But like Caitlin was saying, there is a long ways to go because in, in regards to other issues, they haven't been as, I guess, proactive, I want to say, because when the Asian American violence broke out and all these different other factors that have been happening throughout the country, they haven't been the most proactive in dealing with those issues and addressing them. And they've sent out some really outrageous emails, I will have to say. Um, I know Caitlin has like had a personal <laughs> email to her and her class about that. So here's a thought, and which is kind of sad. And I know that, you know, like there's the whole human aspect of it and treating everyone as equals, 
during the whole ice ban thing and how that was completely negated. But also like, I wonder if schools responded the way that they did because they had more from that ice ban than they had to gain. Trump enacted it because he thought the country would have more to gain than to lose because he wanted to force students to, you know, stay in place. And he wanted to force universities to open mm -hmm. during like the following school year of COVID. But then I think the schools freaked out because I don't know, that is also a major assumption. So I could totally be wrong. But I think the fact that that's a thought that even crosses my mind and I'm like, yeah, that's possible. Like that's kind of messed up in thinking like, I, like, do they care about us as individuals, as people or are like, I just feel like we're just numbers to them, you know? And I'm not speaking for everybody who works at the university, but I just feel like that's how we are treated as students, as international students. And I don't know how that makes me feel, but I mean, like that's the way the world works, right? But even as a, as a minority out there in the world and in society, like, you quickly learn the space you take up and how you are seen. So I guess like that shift into that role with the ice ban wasn't that surprising to me because that's something that you just kind of normalize living as you do as a minority. And it's just sad because again, like it is dehumanizing, right? But at least we have each other. <laughs> Um, you sort of talked about what the university has done, but do you feel connected to the university or the rest of like your classmates in general? So my program is pretty small. I only have 10 people in my class. And luckily with that few number of students, like we take every class together. And while we've never met in person, I feel like because, you know, we're, we're so small and tight knit, like we've, we know each other very well. Um, so I do feel supported within that community. However, outside of that, it's like, you don't really get to interact with other people, other classes. Like I don't really see any undergrads at all. Anything that I would want to search for, like, oh, I wonder if the school has this. Um, I wonder if they have like cultural centers. I wonder if they have like X, Y, Z types of resources. Like you would have to go out and look for that yourself. And like, that kind of sucked to be honest because it's like oh like if if i don't look for it i don't know what's out there but like i don't know where to start looking yes i mean it's 2021 everything is on the internet but it's just not the same as it would be like in person in school where you could go to like clubs fair or you know have days like that where you can like go out into the community find your own people find your group so like, yes and no, I feel like hopefully it'll get better once we're all back on campus safely. But I also think it'll be interesting to evaluate how this pandemic will affect the next few years of school life as we ease back onto campus. Yeah, and how that affects like campus morale and students getting together to wanna do things. Like, is that safe, is it not? Will everybody be vaccinated? Um, what are the mandated regulations for like being vaccinated on campus for students versus employees? Are they going to make it mandatory? Questions I have, answers nobody has. I think questions we all have. We're all <laughs> wondering like, because I kind of a little bit off topic, but I do know that my 
sister is in uh, middle school and those teachers are not expected or they're not forced to be vaccinated, but they should be. If they're going to be near students, I feel. But once again, like you said, these are questions we don't have answers to and we won't know until I guess we get back into it in the fall. Yeah, it's going to exploit all the anti-vaxxers in your class, in your classes. Yeah. I'm obviously not an anti-vaxxer and I have strong opinions about this. And anyone who wants to come talk to me about this can. But yeah, uh, so for grad students, so I'm a graduate assistant. So we have these GA ships, um, these paid GA ships. And I'm pretty sure the vaccine is mandated for us to be back on campus. So I'm not too concerned about going back to campus next year. Like they are expecting my class to be there for the fall. Um, again, because we are a class of 10, it's much more manageable. We'll all be vaccinated because we all have graduate ass assistantships. Mm -hmm. So like if we move to hybrid sometime during the semester, like I won't be too upset. I understand. Um, but within that little bubble, like I would feel comfortable, but man, if I were an undergrad like you, like that would be a different story, right? Cause you never know. So going back to the letter that you uh, mentioned, Caitlin, um, could you walk us through what happened? Like the um, drama department statements on anti-Asian violence? Yeah, um, so I think maybe we should preface this a little bit. So this happened the week of the shooting in Atlanta, whether, you know, that came as a surprise or not, the shooting where a man targeted like Asian American women, um, but also some other folks were shot as well. A lot up in the air. I don't know too much about that. So I don't want to spew uh, hashtag fake news on that. So um, it was just obviously like a tragedy that rippled through the Asian American community. There, there aren't a lot of Asians, um, Asian students in my program or in my department. Um, I am the first Asian female in my program ever. Um, and luckily I have another Asian brother with me. His name is Andre Chan. Love you, Dre. So it was great to be able to talk through some things with him and just like try to process what was going on in my head in response to that. But, um, kind of, I think it was the next, the day after, a day or two after the shooting, the department had been silent about it. And it was upsetting because it's something that really cuts you deep and you can't really ignore something like that. And even before this, like there was a whole wave, a whole increase of like anti-Asian American violence, right? Um, where seniors were just getting pushed to the sidewalk like pushed down to the ground their faces were slashed just riding the subway in new york like people died because of this like street violence and then the shooting happened and then my department came out like they emailed out kind of a statement of solidarity so it says, dear students, faculty and staff, we understand that the shooting in Atlanta is connected to the rise in hate crime against Asian Americans. We see this and we mark this as part of the work in front of us as a society. We are concerned for the well-being of the Asian American members of our community. We wish we could come together right now to offer each other more direct support with hope towards tomorrow. And that's it. And reading that, I'm like, 
This is four sentences. There are less sentences here in this letter than lives that were taken during the shooting. You know, and I appreciate the sentiment. I feel like solidarity statements are in right now. Like there's an uprising, um, you know, from minority populations um, fighting for their rights, fighting for recognition and acknowledgement of equality, of just existing even. And I'm looking at this at a time where I'm really hurting and I don't know what to do with all this like emotion. And, you know, I don't even know what to think. And I'm like, this is so degrading, to be honest. Like, we wish we could come together right now to offer each other more direct support. Why aren't you offering me direct support? Why has nobody from the department reached out to me and asked if I'm okay? Um, I was in a show at the time going up at the Connecticut, Connecticut Repertory Theater and my director had a moment with us and he checked in on me and Dre. We were working on a, and we were working on a show together and we had that conversation. I think that was really important to even just acknowledge what happened, you know, like just acknowledge it, ask us how we're doing. We're going to either say fine, we're going to lie about it, or we're going to be like, we're not doing great. There's no right answer here. But I think it's important to just acknowledge it and not just do it in a statement of solidarity that is so like it makes you feel worse. Right. I acknowledge that everyone is learning at this time. Um, I didn't have the heart to do it, but apparently a couple of my classmates sent back really strong, strongly worded emails in response to that statement. Um, saying this is insufficient, do better, be better. Like I haven't read them, but they were like, you need to, you know, offer support. You need to offer different ways to support these students during this time because four sentences is not going to do anything. Like you're literally just discarding it. Why don't you just send them an email, ask them how they're doing, check in on them. Like that's, would probably take the same amount of time as it took for them because like there aren't a lot of Asian students in our program, in our department. So after that, I think it was the next day or a couple days later, they came out with a new statement. It was a lot longer. It was a lot more fleshed out and a lot more respectful, I feel, um, in acknowledging the tragedy that had happened and like how that had affected the community. Um, they listed and linked different resources, um, on campus, people we could talk to, um, you know, bystander uh, training, things like that. And I'm like, this is appropriate. This should be the minimum standard for what you send out following a tragedy. Right. Um, Again, we are all learning and I'm glad that we are progressing to a better place, but it just makes me sad that people's feelings are hurt along the way while people are learning how to better progress and better deal with these situations. And lives are literally being lost. Like, when will this stop? Um, it sucks. Like... What do you do when you go, when you're going to a systemically white institution, academic institution, right? And it's not just UConn, like UConn is giving me so many opportunities that I'm so grateful for. 
Um, but there's a long way for everyone to go. Just for equality for all. I've seen a lot of the responses that the school has sent out in um, response to the situations going on right now um, in terms of the Asian American violence and the fact that it happened in March right before the Asian American Heritage Month is happening. It's sad to be at UConn specifically at UConn specifically. Yes. Um, and I don't know. I think they've tried to address it, but I feel like it was like an afterthought almost at a certain point because uh, I actually talked to or Angela Rolla at ASAC has actually addressed this. The fact that um, the ASAC staff had to, you know, fight for the school to send out a statement, fight for the school to talk about it, to acknowledge this issue and like really sit down and talk about what we can do to change what's happening. So it was, it was just, you know, it's disheartening that the school takes such little effort in sometimes sending out these things and talking about these issues. So, But that's literally symbolic of our lives, of our entire lives. We are fighting to be acknowledged, right? right? Like we are fighting to be heard and like to be acknowledged as more than what our stereotype is or whatever role they want us to play or they think that we play. Um, and I think like that's so sad. Angela Rolla is great. The Asian American Cultural Center has been so great. Like what a great support resource throughout all this. And I'm glad that they are putting out all the information that they are doing these panels, like having these events to address everything that's going on. Yeah. Like the, again, I want to repeat at these times, there's no right thing to say, but, and like the least you can do is acknowledge it. But if you're going to do it, come at it with a plan, come at it with an intention of like supporting people and not just being like, hey, this sucks. We wish we could do better. If you're going to say that, don't say anything at all because we don't need you to tell us that. Right. And coming as international students, like, again, like, it's it's even worse because we're fighting even harder to be seen. Thank you so much for sharing your opinions. Um, how does this make you feel about UConn or coming back to like the campus? I'm just hoping like I've never I've only stepped foot um, on UConn campus during my recruiting trip. Um, so I don't really have an image of UConn in my head and what campus is like there, but I'm hoping that, I don't know, like I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I like to be realistic about these things, um, but it is what it is, right? Like I'm hoping things will be better. I'm hoping there will be supports in place, but I don't, I don't know. Like you just have to prepare yourself for the worst because who's gonna look out for number one? yourself right for sure um so i personally like have heard of all the stories of people being afraid to go to the grocery store or leave their house and being rejected from entering a grocery store just because of who they are um because of this current like climate 
And I don't know how an international person would feel who, you know, has had to live outside of the country this whole year and then have to come back to face this type of a climate. I feel that they would probably not feel safe. They would not feel that, you know, they're welcome or wanted. And I think that could really create a negative connotation right from the start because some of these international students are freshmen who have not even had their first experience in America yet. They've had to either come here and then leave because of the ice ban and the, you know, all the confusion around that or they were never even able to come over. So having the only exposure they have, like, they don't have any personal exposure. So what they would have to base their assumptions on is social media, the news, whatever they've been hearing and seeing. Um, I'm a little, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so I just feel that they would not feel safe and probably not feel welcome. So I think that we really need to work on that because having their first experience of America be that you know, they're violent, they don't want us there, they, they would not be inclined to come over. Why would they want to come to the United States to study if they're being met with this type of violence? So I just think that it's not, it's, it's probably not making them want to come here at all. These are my thoughts coming from Canada. This is truly my own perspective, so I cannot be speaking for anyone else. But two things, your gun laws or lack thereof scare me a lot. I mean, in Connecticut, I feel like it should be okay in picking schools. I wanted to personally pick a blue state. I looked at like, you know, open carry laws in whatever states. I mean, Connecticut is open carry, but like, hmm, Connecticut seems okay. Um, then again, Sandy Hook did happen in Connecticut, but these things are, somewhat unpredictable let's not go there second of all your health care i'll just drop that as a canadian that also makes me hella scared coming to america so two things that could make or break my life yeah i'm scared um also coming as an asian into america during slash post covid i mean i've been spit on entering a grocery store here in Canada, like racism happens everywhere. Right. Um, and yeah, I am, I am scared for the freshmen coming in. Like at least I'm 25. I know my self-worth. I, I, you know, can stand up for myself. I have a lot of experience with these things, unfortunately, but like as a fresh 17, 18 year old, how are we going to support them? What are we going to do? So unfortunately, we are all out of time for today. Thank you for sharing that. We appreciate you sharing your experiences. Um, before we go, do either of you have any closing statements that you'd like to make? Um, I guess I just want to say that I really appreciate all everybody at ASAC. They've been really great support during this time. These hard, this last, this past year has just been a hard time for everybody, and I feel that. All the cultural centers are doing such a great job of reaching out and, you know, talking with their students. And I think that's all we could all ask for. Just like for somebody to reach out and find out, like, just show that they care. Even if we are just going to give them the generic 
find response or whoever, you know, whatever response we give, that's not the point. I think the fact that they took the time to reach out and find out how we're doing, I really appreciate that. And um, I just want to say that the school could do a bit more of that, not just in the cultural centers, but like all throughout for all different types of students. I think we should just reach out more and, you know, just find out how everyone's doing because these past this past year has been really rough and it's not getting much better mm-hmm. yeah like in any hurry anytime soon you know so yeah like logistically I don't I honestly don't know how the school could check in on us to be honest but yeah like my my closing statement is really close to Jenny's is just like check in on your friends check in on you know your your minority friends any of them even if they seem to be doing okay just be like hey just want to check in like haven't heard from you a while or i know we just talked yesterday but like how are you really doing you know taking the time actually listening um and just listening being like i don't have to offer any solutions i i can't offer any solutions personally but is there any way I can support you? What can I do to help you at this time? And just look out for each other because I think that will help elevate our sense of community and help people feel like, you know, they're, they have a support system. There are people looking out for them. Um, and we can just do that with each other. So, yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right, thank you, Caitlin and Jenny so much for speaking with us. Um, as we said earlier, we as Global Gateways felt that the international perspective during COVID was left out in the Yukon narrative, and we really just wanted to give everyone the chance to hear about those experiences. Um, but yeah, if you're an international student and you need any support during this time, please feel free to reach out to us at Global Gateways. A quick thank you to PAC for hosting us today. And yeah, you can reach out to us at ISP at Global Gateways on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, folks.